Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a national emergency to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the hyperbolic fallacy, also known as inductive hyperbole. So Trump is the best in the world <laughs> at using this fallacy. He is absolutely tremendous at it. Yeah. <laughs> he is, yeah, the best ever. And yeah. to be completely honest, I'm not sure I'm being hyperbolic there. <laughs> Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. because when you commit the hyperbolic fallacy, it is because you are expressing a conclusion that is way in advance or, or way too much um, yeah. that, that then you can back up with evidence. There's there's right. much more that you're expressing than than actually you can kind of follow up. And sometimes it's it's based on a piece of evidence or a study that you just then take to an extreme. Yeah, and sometimes it's based on just stating something with really very little evidence to back it up or no evidence in some cases or sometimes in in the face of of evidence to the contrary <laughs> right okay. but it can't be seen as good reasoning because there's just there's no hope that you can really back it up there's there's certainly not based on the the evidence that you have to hand and it's also very difficult to kind of maintain that stance in the face of the history of comedy or uh, <laughs> or even the history of top gear just with um, with uh, Clarkson saying everything is the best in the world, yeah. it's become yeah. a kind of cliche. Even he takes the piss out of himself on the Grand Tour. It's the ultimate in hyperbole to maintain this hyperbolic state in the face of all of that's <laughs> gone before. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the more you do it, the more ridiculous it becomes. And, <laughs> yeah. and we all do it sometimes. We all say... Yeah. You know, I've had the worst morning ever. Mm. And and yeah. people know that you're not being genuine in that. They know that you're yeah. being dramatic and not, not trying to tell the truth. But when it's used in an argument where you don't have other mm. things to back it up or other, other points to make and your only claim is, no, this is the best ever, then it becomes your argument. And, and it's obviously not a good argument. So... One example we have from Trump is when gold star widow Maisha Johnson claimed that when the Donald called to express his condolences for her husband, Le David, um, he couldn't remember her husband's name. He didn't. He was like so uninterested in, in making mm. it a good call. He didn't even remember her name. Yeah. Now, Donald could have. Uh, I mean, it's obviously he's never going to admit this, no, <laughs> but he could at no. least have said she was very emotional. She probably doesn't remember what I said or something like that. But of course, instead, he had to claim that he has one of the great memories of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's not it's not possible yeah. for him to forget things yeah. like that. Literally, yeah, he pointed yeah. to his head and said, "Yeah, no, I have one of the great memories of all time." It's just so childish, isn't it? It's ultimately he doesn't want to take responsibility for anything, and he does that by just being, just saying that he's the best at stuff rather than being the best at stuff. And if yeah. he would just admit that he isn't isn't the best at these things, and it was a very emotional uh, moment, and you know I was feeling emotional, she was feeling emotional, and you go, well, that there's there's a properly humane human. <laughs> but no, because he because somehow that's a that's a sign of weakness. So what he does is overcome that by saying it's not possible for me to be that and be weak because I'm the best at everything. And it, in in the thought that people would believe him, yeah, I mean, that's, that's he just he just takes it to a completely unnecessary extreme. That, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah. He's not just saying, "Oh no, you know, I I, I did remember. I have a very good memory." Um, it, it, no, he's not. He's not even saying that. He's he's comparing himself to all of the people in history. Yeah, <laughs> even people that have won awards for being yeah, memory yeah. men. You know, the people that can kind of remember fifty-two packs of cards in order. There's got to have been Victorian. <laughs> 
performers who were memory men who are known for if only we had the best <laughs> memory ever, we'd remember their names. But, you know, people whose job it is to teach people mnemonics and you know, how to remember this stuff. And, and what? And then he said, no, no, I've got the best memory ever. He does this a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of his main traits, really, is is saying how great he is and, and how he's the best at everything and how he's the biggest expert in things and he knows more about war than generals and more about medicine than doctors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I made a little compilation okay, right. of some of the moments that, that he has come out with this stuff over the last few years. Having a drone fly overhead, and I think nobody knows much more about technology this type of technology, certainly, than I do. Nobody knows politicians better than I do. There's nobody bigger or better at the military than I am. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. There's nobody that's done so much for equality as I have. There's nobody that understands the horror of nuclear better than me. Nobody knows more about trade than me. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Nobody knows more about taxes than I do. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody's in the history of this country has ever known so much about infrastructure as Donald Trump. Nobody knows more about debt than I do. I am the least anti-Semitic person that you've ever seen in your entire life. I know more about drones than anybody. I know about every form of safety that you can have. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. I think nobody knows more about campaign finance than I do. There's nobody more conservative than me. I was the one that really broke the glass ceiling on behalf of women. I understand money better than anybody. I know more about ISIS than th the generals do, believe me. I know more about courts than any human being on earth. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. <laughs> <laughs> and despite all that, he's most, most yeah. humble. And and military, or what was yeah, the I'm one's the biggest and the best at military. Uh, military, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> and also I'm, you know, nobody understands the horror of nuclear. Yeah, well, nuclear what? You know, the, the, the yeah, the, the and I mean just as, just using what? that as an example. Um, there was a guy who who was close to Hiroshima when yeah. the bomb was dropped. Who who was evacuated? Who let, kind of left the area and went to Nagasaki? Oh, yeah. He survived that yeah. as well. Wow. I'm so he, sure he knows more uh, He probably about knows more about the horror of nuclear, <laughs> yeah, than anyone else on Earth. Uh, for, yeah. yeah, quite justifiably, anyone else on Earth. So is that the... Uh, so so the, the inductive, when it's, it's called inductive hyperbole, yeah. is the, the sense that the it's called inductive because it calls upon itself as proof of itself. It's about inductive reasoning. Mm. Um, so the, the two main types of reasoning, deductive and inductive reasoning. Mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes is, is supposedly the most famous deductive reasoner, of but actually time. he doesn't use deductive reasoning at all. Oh, right. Deductive reasoning is where you can definitely decide something is true based on the facts or the situation. Yeah. Holmes hardly ever does that. Holmes, no. What Holmes does is takes some evidence or some a situation and comes up with probability and says right. this is probably true, this is likely to be the case due yeah. to the, the evidence. Yeah. And so that's in, inductive reasoning, is it's, it's basing your guess, basically yeah. your best your hypothesis on, on, on the evidence yeah. that you have. Right. And so this is, you're looking at the evidence yeah. and you're not kind of making a good hypothesis, you're, you're making a, a ridiculous hypothesis compared, yeah. Ba yeah. based on the evidence. You're, you're not taking it to a natural conclusion. You're going much, much yeah. further than that. It's a supernatural. So that's inductive conclusion. hyperbole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's and how would you how would you go about? Uh, I'm always interested in how do you counter this stuff. So if somebody's coming at you like like Trump would, um, you know, blatting at you and saying, "There's nothing you can tell me about peace wall building." He's the best at building walls, better than a bricklayer, really. <laughs> You know, if that was true, why did he employ people to build all his buildings rather than do them himself? You know, because he knows more yeah, about real estate. It's it's one of those things where people very rarely push back yeah. when when he says to an interviewer, you know, nobody knows more about the infrastructure like in the history of of America than I do. Yeah, 
nobody talks about you know the people who built the railroads yeah. <laughs> across America in the eighteen sixties. Or, or they, even they just don't. All... They don't bring it up. It's it's yeah. it's almost not worth arguing about because, uh, I mean, apart from a few people, it's not going to fool anyone. One place I worked, the network, the IT network manager, when he was putting stuff out to tender to organisations, he would say, "Okay, this must be uh, SRF compliant." And if people came back and said, "Oh yeah, it's SRF compliant," he knew that they were bullshitting because all it meant was small rubber feet. <laughs> so. Uh, so and you, you you would make up something and give it a trump and he would go, yeah, I know all about that. Yeah, yeah I'm the, absolutely the best at SRF compatibility. And you just go, well, that doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> well, he, he tweeted recently that he wanted to make sure that um, America has 5G and even 6G mm. technology as soon mm-hmm. as possible. Um, yeah. Obviously, there isn't any 6g there's no 6g at the moment um and and i did see some of the replies to to that tweet where like i will give ten dollars to the first journalist who asked trump to to explain 5g yeah yeah the explanation the space where an explanation would be offered by any normal person would just be filled up by trump saying i know all there is to know about 5g Yeah, yeah I'm Absolutely. the leading expert on it. You can't, yeah, I know more about it than I know more about five G than anybody. And, and yeah, uh, than you wouldn't telecommunications expert. <laughs> yes, so, so I can't even you know I would I can't even find the language that you would be able to understand because I understand yeah. language. I have the, all the best. Yeah, words. nobody nobody understands it like I do. No, um, no. <laughs> so uh, yeah, absolutely. That is his answer, and that's the, that's how he uses it is to avoid actually having to answer on any yeah. of these topics yeah. is just say oh you know you don't need to worry about that i know everything there is to know about that yeah yeah that compilation that was like 21 examples right. that, yeah. there's so many more there's, there's didn't, barely didn't, scratches the surface we could, have, oh, no. we could have made a whole episode <laughs> just was playing just those. Him saying how great yeah. he is yeah i mean he's yeah he's obviously he said he's the most the least racist person anyone's ever met he is yeah. um he has the best words we well know yeah, that absolutely we know that yeah 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 oh dear yeah. and now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. Well, um, over this side of the pond, the example I've chosen now is uh, because we are some 30-odd days away from leaving the EU. I hesitate to word, use the word crashing out of the EU um, because apparently there's no deal yet uh, made. And the uh, example that I've got is uh, from Liam Fox, who was Secretary of State for Trade and Industry, uh, still is, I think. Um, And he made this uh, statement on the Today programme on the 20th of July in 2017. You know, the free trade agreement that we will have to come to with the European Union should be one of the easiest in human history. We're already beginning with zero tariffs. And we're already beginning at the point of maximal regulatory equivalence, as it's called. In other words, our rules and our laws are exactly the same. And the only reason that we wouldn't come to a free and open uh, agreement is because politics gets in the way of economics. So what I, what I love about that, he kind of, yeah, so there, there you go, when you go, well, that's... A lot of politics yeah, must have got in the way. <laughs> absolutely, and it still is. And the uh, the fact that he says it's the, the easiest one in human history, and you think, really, in the whole of human history, one of the easiest hum- trade agreements in human history is one that I did in a playground once when I had some collecting cards and I had two of them that were the same and I wanted another one from a friend of mine and I said, okay, well, I'll give you one of mine for that one. Surely that was quite an easy trade agreement. That's quite a lot easier, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's that's part of human history. So Liam Fox tries to sort of um, propose that there are some... Uh, some evidence for him saying it will be one of the easiest in human history because we've got zero tariffs at the moment and we've got regulatory equivalents. So our rules and laws are exactly the same as they are with the EU, except part of the politics that's got in the way of the economics is that that's the whole point of getting out of the EU, apparently, was to take back control of borders and immigration and trade deals, which would mean that the regulatory equivalence, the fact that the rules are the same, is the thing that means we need to leave because we want to be in charge of having them. We want to be able to make them differently if we want to. 
Um, okay, cool. So the other example is Boris uh, talking about the self-same Brexit. And um, actually, this was at a an award ceremony for where he was awarded the best comeback of the year by the Spectator magazine because he had been on the side of uh, leave for the referendum and had won the referendum and then had resigned his position. Uh, no, what did he He was going to go for leader and then he said he wasn't going to go for leader, so he was kind of minister without portfolio. And then he was made foreign secretary. So as a result of that, the spectator, I think with some tongue-in-cheek, awarded him the best comeback of the year. And during that speech of acceptance, he made this statement about Brexit. Brexit means Brexit, and we are going to make a titanic, a titanic success of it. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> because yeah, when you brilliant. think success, you think yeah, Titanic. The first thing you think of is Titanic. <laughs> so he's doing that. He's doing the um, I'm the smartest man in the world, the most educated person ever and a lovable buffoon and i'm going to use a, a word that should actually he goes on to correct himself via some really bad allusion to the titanic exhibition in northern ireland um and changes it to colossal but what i love is that the 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 audience is so damn quick before he's even got to, he said, we're going to make a Titanic success of it. Before he's even got to thank you, people are shouting, it sank. Yeah. And not just one person, several people <laughs> have shouted, it sank. And you think, yeah, so there you go. So there's there's the, the hyperbole. It's going to be a Titanic success. And the terms of its own disaster are within that metaphor. Just excellent. And, yeah, and it continues to be the Titanic success no, it's ABC. It, oh, ABC. ABC. Yeah, right. ABC, the the look of fallacy. My mind turned with our 80s theme that we were talking about <laughs> straight to that one. And uh, yeah, so much so I recorded that immediately after the last after <laughs> the last episode. So in the fallacy in the wild, uh, we like to look at the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And the first example we have this week is from American Dad. You ruined Everything? Everything? Oh, that's the hyperbole police coming to take you away and lock you up in exaggeration, Traz. I think I made my point. <laughs> I love I love exaggeration, Traz. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, arguably, Stan does some kind of calling out on of mm. the hyperbole there, yep. and and yep. points out that that she is being hyperbolic and yeah. exaggerating, and that's not not realistic. Yeah, so, it, yeah. Kind of, it kind of it kind of ruins it by doing the exaggeration traz but you know if, <laughs> if you were to kind of have the integrity of your position you just go yeah that's actually just a, really everything that's you know, I think you're you're guilty of using hyperbole there but where's the fun yeah. in that yeah one of the um ways that the hyperbolic fallacy is used quite frequently is in overblowing claims of, of alternative medicine right. because the claims of alternative medicine often need to be overblown yep. in order to make them sound good. Because right. you can't, if you rely just on the evidence and, and on the studies, then then you wouldn't be able to sell your woo, basically. Yeah. yeah. One example that is is from uh, Angelina Jolie's cancer doctor, who right. is um, Doctor, I think Christy Funk, not Funke, uh, but okay. Funk, and uh, she's an actual doctor. Mm -hmm. But she kind of stopped doing actual science doctoring, doctoring right. stuff yeah, yeah. a few years ago and focused much more on things like homeopathy and uh, diet and makes right. significantly overblown claims about how much diet can actually reduce your risk of getting yeah. breast cancer. She claims that you can... Uh, just just by giving up meat and dairy, basically, and going on a vegan diet, you can reduce de decrease your risk of breast cancer by up to eighty percent, which is way above any actual evidence. 
that, yeah. that you can point to. One of the, the examples that she cites in terms of the, the vegan diet is a study that she says shows that a high saturated fat diet in puberty spread up breast cancer in adult women. So basically saying don't have like whole milk, don't have full right. fat milk uh, when you are in puberty because it's it's going to basically set the stage for illness when you're older. Right. Okay. The thing is, she's stating this as a as if it's a fact. But the right. study that she's stating was a preclinical study done in mice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. and this was a study where prepubescent mice basically were fed a low fat or a high fat diet and then given a chemical that would induce breast cancer. Right. Um, so it wasn't just kind of seeing whether they developed they were it. Susceptible it was introduced them. into them. It's a preliminary study that gave some interesting results, but definitely can't be directly translated into human puberty, human yeah. breast cancer. You know, it's a, it's a model, basically. Yeah. yeah. And a huge amount more needs to be done before you can start saying, don't drink milk in puberty. <laughs> Because you'll get yeah. breast cancer. It makes me think that it's an argument from small numbers. It's that kind of stuff, but without the without the numbers, it's kind of using the hyperbole to take uh, you know a small sample, like we talked about the um, the MMR sample yeah. and the, that kind of scandal, where it becomes a uh, it becomes ramped up. Um, you know, you know, in a hyperbolic way, saying yes, this stuff will do that to you. Yeah, you know. absolutely. And it's that, that's just one example of of where she is pushing her kind of vegan diet mm. thing as as mm. the cure. Well, not the cure, even, but the prevention, the the yeah. way of of stopping yourself from getting breast cancer. Yeah. So this this is based on a uh, an article by David Gorski in Science Based Medicine, which is oh, right. really good and breaks down all of the details of this cancer surgeon's claims that she yeah. put in, in the Sunday Times and, and in various other uh, publications. We'll put a link to the um, article mm. in the mm. show notes for this episode on our website. And uh, you can see all of the, the different things that this woman claims and why they are hyperbolic at best in <laughs> in the claims that they make. Dangerous at worst, because if you yeah, think... Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if, in a way, they'd applied that to Angelina Jolie... Given her, um, you know, genetic predilection for breast cancer, and that hadn't done the 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 prophylactic surgery, uh, just did the the mouse-based woo, sure. she might have got it. Might fall well. Yeah, it. absolutely. It is. It is. Um, dangerous in that sense if people do I mean this is the thing about alternative medicine it's dangerous if people use it instead of real medicine um, yeah. but it's also it's really negative that what this woman is basically saying is for a lot of women who get breast cancer it's kind of their own fault right she's oh, okay. she's saying that in in basically 80 percent of cases the reasons that you get it are because of your diet or your lifestyle wow. or whatever yeah. and and it's something you could have done something about but didn't which is really negative because that's not true in many cases it's definitely there are factors people should be given correct in information about this stuff so that they know the choices that they can make but also so that they're not made to feel bad about something they didn't really have any control over so my examples, I was interested in when we were talking about doing this episode, the, the first thing that jumped into my mind was The Greatest Show on Earth, which, you know, in a way is a very Trumpian kind of phrase. So I was looking up the history of where that came from and were some really nice parallels. So it was once said about um, a guy called Dan Rice. He had a circus between the 1830s and the 1860s, which was the first to be described um, as the greatest show on earth. And so uh, looking up Dan Rice, he was an American entertainer of many talents, famously as a clown, preeminent for the American Civil War. He was a leading personality in the new American pop culture brought on by the technological changes of the Industrial Revolution and result in mass culture. Who would have thought there was pop culture in the 1850s? Um, Rice became so popular, he ran for president in 1868. 
Um, but with changes in circus venues and popular culture after the Civil War, his legendary talents gradually slipped into almost total historical obscurity. So that in 2001, a biography was done by a guy called David Carlian, and he called him the most famous man you've never heard of, which is in itself a great hyper- hyperbolic statement. <laughs> but I was suddenly thinking, oh, it's just Trump. You know, he was yeah. that... But he was so popular. He was, he was literally a clown who ran for president. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the back of the then pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. And and about whom it was said that it was the greatest show on earth. Yeah. So that, that I found found that very fascinating. And then my other example, then there's a bumper crop of uh, ones in the wild. It occurs to me that apart from the sting, we are well, for this bit. We hardly ever look at music. Um, but the uh, 22nd of March this year would have been the 50th anniversary of John and Yoko's wedding. And uh, it occurred to me that the Ballad of John and Yoko contains the, a hyperbole at the end of the, uh, the kind of the chorus, I guess. The going, me. So there's quite, I think the hyperbole in there is uh, twofold. One that, you know, the, it, things are getting so bad, they're going to crucify me. And I think the other hyperbole is that he likens himself to Christ. We just kind of go, Christ, you know it ain't easy. You know how hard it can be. So he's kind of in that, that way. Not for the first time, it should Not be for said. the first time, yeah, yeah. 1965, <laughs> we're, we're bigger than Jesus, six, he said. Yes, before, exactly, yeah, yeah. But I think they're typically Beatle fashion. They're kind of doing it with their tongue in the tongue in the cheek, they know exactly what they're doing and saying this stuff is going to provoke people. And the other interesting fact about this one is that only John and Paul played on it. So that's Paul playing the drums. Just when you thought Ringo was the worst drummer in the Beatles, <laughs> just listen to Paul's drumming. Someone said, is Ringo the best drummer in the world? And John, he said, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Yeah, turns out he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we move on to fake news this week, uh, yeah. we have a favour to ask. Yeah, we are involved in a uh, a competition to win some some podcasting gear, some better kind of microphones and, and mixers and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So, if you have just five seconds to spare, because that's all it takes, it's, it really is, really is that yeah. quick. Please go to fallaciousTrump.com slash vote, and it'll take you to a page where you can scroll down and and find a bit where it says vote now, and you can click on it and you can vote for us. And if enough people vote for us, then we might win some cool podcasting stuff and our uh, excellent show will sound even more excellent. Yes. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up. And Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. And, and so, fail mostly at it. I am the, <laughs> I am the best at failing at this <laughs> yeah ever in, for all time in human history i don't know if you saw but trump declared a national emergency oh yeah this week and uh, last week actually and yeah. he he did it in one of the weirdest uh, <laughs> right. rose garden press conferences ever yeah <laughs> it was so rambling and bizarre and just off topic <laughs> and during the thing he 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 pointed out that actually it wasn't really an emergency. He didn't need to do it. And I, it was just so weird. So <laughs> all of these quotes are from that press conference. Okay. Yeah. So statement number one, mm-hmm. they're saying that Mexico isn't paying for the wall and that's just a lie. I never said they would write a big check like bing, bing, bing. They're paying indirectly through the money we're saving through the USMCA. Frankly, we made such a great deal with the USMCA. I think it's one of the best trade deals ever made, especially compared to NAFTA, which was one of the worst. We'll pay for the wall five times over with the money we save. Okay, yeah. Statement number two. Got enough hyperbole in there for it to be feasible, (laughs) yeah. Statement number two. We had certain funds that are being used at the discretion of generals, at the discretion of the military. Some of them haven't been allocated yet, and some of the generals think that this is more important. I was speaking to a couple of them. They think this is far more important than what they were going to use it for. I said, what were you going to use it for? And I won't go into details, but it didn't sound too important to me. (laughs) Okay, right. And number three, this was just a tangent he went off on about the Chinese. 
Okay. He says, um, their criminal list, a drug dealer gets a thing called the death penalty. Our criminal list, a drug dealer gets a thing called how about a fine? And when I asked President Xi, I said, do you have a drug problem? No, no, no. I said, you have 1.4 billion people. What do you mean you have no drug problem? No, we don't have a drug problem. I said, why? Death penalty. We give death penalty to people that sell drugs. End of problem. Okay. okay. Remember, this, this was during a speech about how about there was a national, national emergency, emergency on the southern border. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, which, which is all about drugs. Okay, yeah, fair enough, because, yeah, the main themes would be too many drugs coming in, we need to spend the money, and we, I didn't say that, that Mexico wouldn't pay for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, so there's that that deal where it's all been, yeah, it's kind of saving face there, yeah. Uh, best trade deals ever made especially compared with NAFTA, which was the not. Certain funds being used discretion as generals. See, I, mm, yeah. <laughs> See, that's a typical Trump thing. I wouldn't go into details, you know, but I've, I've saved you the trouble of having you having to go through all this. Big, I've just dismissed it because it didn't sound too important to me. Okay, criminalist drunk delegates thing. Okay, well, well... <clears throat> I, I think the, I think you made up number one. Number one's the one you made up because the the lots of hyperbole and references to the other deals. Yeah, I think okay. number one. The number one is the one you made up. Okay, so which of the other two are you more confident about? Uh, I I'm more confident about the drug dealer one. Okay, so we'll go with that one. We'll start yeah. with that one. Yeah. Number three, yeah. you think is real. Yeah. And number three is yeah. real. Their criminal list, a drug dealer gets a thing called the death penalty. Our criminal list, a drug dealer gets a thing called, how about a fine? And when I asked President Xi, I said, do you have a drug problem? No, no, no. I said, you have 1.4 billion people. What do you mean you have no drug problem? No, we don't have a drug problem. I said, why? Death penalty. We give death penalty to people that sell drugs. End of problem. So, well, so Trump is that kind of advocating comes off the back the of this, saying, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he, he very yeah. much said, we can solve the, de- the, the drug pro- yeah. problem a lot easier than people think. Yeah, Basically, we just need to saying, kill a lot more we people. should kill drug dealers. Yeah, that is no prob- no ultimately his end of his conclusion. I suspect he's doing a lot of a little bit of cherry picking, insofar as when President Xi says we don't have a drug problem, he's gone okay, and that's the end of the discussion. Rather than saying, yeah. "But you do have a drug problem," and they you do. do, yeah, <laughs> it is not it is not a thing in China that they don't have a drug problem no. compared to. Um, to less populous countries, by capita, they actually have quite a small drug problem because mm. it's such a huge country. But they put their people who are convicted of drug offences mm. in mandatory rehab, basically. Yeah. yeah. And they, they record the those people. They register them as drug users. And there are over two and a half million registered drug users in, in China. Yeah. So it, it's not, it's definitely not no problem. You know, it's yeah. that... And that's just the ones who have who have already been convicted, basically, in the last kind yeah. of three years of, of drug offences. So, you think statement two is real? I do. And statement two yeah. is yeah, yeah, real. We had certain oh, funds wow. that are uh, being used at the discretion of generals, at the discretion of the military. Uh, some of them haven't been allocated yet, and some of the generals think that this is more important. Uh, I was speaking to a couple of them. They think this is far more important than what they were going to use it for. I said, what were you going to use it for? And I won't go into details, but didn't sound too important to me. <laughs> it just gets smaller, doesn't it? Or, you know, yeah. there, are, there are certain funds being used at the discretion of generals. So basically what he's saying is there's all this military funding. We can, we can divert it to the wall. 
And so there's certain funds being used at the discretion of generals. Okay, yeah. Some of those funds haven't been allocated, and some of the generals think that this is more... I was speaking to a couple of some of those about <laughs> some of the allocation, and they think it's far more important. I won't go into it, but I don't think it's important. So the thing that the money was going to be used for... Yeah. Uh, that didn't sound too important. Yeah. Trump was aiming to get $3.6 billion right. from uh, military construction funds. Okay. Um, and, and most of that that hasn't currently been allocated is that they've said they're not going to use anything that is kind of impacting the, the readiness of the, the military. But it's basically, it's for building houses for, for uh, on bases for military oh. families and things like that. Um, oh, right. And and there is significant underfunding that has been going on for years in that area to the point where military families on, on US bases are, mm-hmm. they have kind of black mold and they have rising damp and all kinds of issues with the, the current buildings that they have. Yeah. They really yeah. do need to, to have some of that money put into to constructing <laughs> yeah. new facilities for them. They're, they're taking that away. That's fine. That wasn't yeah. important. Because it's not um, important. Two, yeah, not important. Two and a half billion is um, from a military drug interdiction fund, which right. is basically aimed at uh, interrupting the drug trade. The interesting thing about that is, though, of that 2.6, uh, 2.5 yeah. billion that he wants, they've actually spent almost all the money that they've got <laughs> in that fund. So they've right. only actually got about $85 million left in the fund. Right, right. And, and to get more into the fund... To, yeah. to to put towards the wall, they have to go to Congress <laughs> to get to, to to reallocate money. Yeah. So <laughs> weirdly, that's, that's going to be interesting. Happen, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congress might have something to say about that. And even the, so, that money is kind of doing the same kind of job of interrupting the drug trafficking industry. That apparently the wall yeah, is supposed to do absolutely that. That money lets the Pentagon, through the military, support mm. federal, state, and also foreign agencies to prevent yeah. drug trafficking. Right. So, exactly, to, so exactly basically stopping drugs coming in over the southern to, border, for example. Yeah. yeah weirdly. So yeah. What? So and that's not important. So you're going to divert no, no, no. that, that money that in order doesn't to sound important. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't sound like it's much more effective than steel slats all of that means that you won oh yeah oh oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i forgot about that hey yeah oh right so so uh you are now up to 32 percent yay uh, which is dangerously close to yeah. um actual chance and, and, and probably and a, a value higher than any amount of money that will ever get spent on the wall oh yeah yeah definitely yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right. There's one more clip from that press conference that I just had mm-hmm. to play. I'll f- sign the final papers as soon as I get into the Oval Office, and we will have a national emergency, and we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there, and we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court. And hopefully we'll get a fair shake and we'll win in the Supreme Court. Just like the ban, they sued us in the Ninth Circuit and we lost. And then we lost in the appellate division. And then we went to the Supreme Court and we won. What the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) It's... It's... What? It's it's so bizarre. It's on, I think... um, I think it was Seth Meyers on on his show said it sounds like yeah. a, a, a kind of an eight year old telling you what he saw at the zoo. It was like yeah, and when we saw yeah. elephants, and <laughs> we saw a monkey, and then we saw a camel, yeah. and, <laughs> and then we had some potato chips. And it's then we had so ice cream. weird that, and it's just and it kind of even before you've announced the <laughs> emergency, you know, a state of emergency, you know that the people are going to go. Well, yeah, we're just not going to do that. We're going to sue you, yeah, and or we're going to take you to task. Or he he said, you know, many presidents have done this in the past. Sign sign national emergencies. Yeah, they very rarely get sued. I shouldn't be sued, but the in the past they haven't done it to to 
fund something that they couldn't agree with Congress to fund. They haven't they haven't yeah. done something where later in the same announcement they've said, I didn't need to do it this way. It's not an emergency then. Yeah. And this is the part of the episode that this week, at least, is called Killing Journalism is Not a Logical Fallacy, because we have a guest this week. It's a the veteran reporter and author of Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness and Donald Trump Are Destroying News and How We Can Save It. It's Joe Strupp. Joe, welcome to Fallacious Trump. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So as I said in the intro, you're a veteran reporter. I hope that's not insulting in any way. No, I'll take it as I've been called worse. <laughs> okay. How long have you been in the journalism game? I've been a reporter for just over 30 years. I uh, started at several newspapers and then I went to editor and publisher magazine, which covers the newspaper industry. And then at Media Matters for America, which is a journalism and media watchdog group where we cover basically conservative media and essentially keep an eye on them, expose their wrongdoing and let people know when they're not doing what they're supposed to, which as you know, is often. And I left there about a year ago and have been doing freelancing and also wrote this book because I really wanted to get information out about what I thought was wrong with the news media. Not that it was fake news as Trump believes, or that it's left-leaning, biased, liberal hackery, as some people have long believed. But there, there are other problems with financing, with cutbacks, with the way it covers news, overly covering things that may not deserve it, and undercovering things that do deserve it, and many other things. But of course, Trump is a big part of that, and he's uh, essentially the first chapter of the book. And he sprinkled throughout, as you can imagine, because he does have an influence on a lot of coverage. I know in the UK there's um, a lot of changes happened with obviously the internet coming along and, and the different ways that um, newspapers, for example, can can do advertising and can bring in revenue. Has that had a massive impact on the press in the US as well in terms of the, the, the bottom line, basically, what they've got to focus on? One of the things I do go after in the book is the situation involving revenue with the internet, Competition has come in, obviously, and with cable television and online outlets, there's so much more competition. There's so many more places for people to get news and advertisers that the advertising uh, revenue stream was cut severely just 10 or 15 years ago, starting with the Internet, with the Internet taking away things like classified advertising, taking away uh, retail advertising in a way that in print, newspapers would get large ads and they would get a big audience. Online, as you know, advertising is very different. The revenue is very low and the competition is very high. So news outlets have had to do a lot to try to get audiences, whether it's online or in print or on broadcast or cable. And I believe it's forced them to grab what is known as clickbait or other sexy stories, uh, eye-grabbing stories, and really cut back on in-depth coverage. And in terms of the revenue stream, that's been cut. Uh, that's just notable anywhere if you just look at the numbers. But also the cutbacks in people. I go through the book that the number of journalism jobs in the U.S. had dropped by 14,000 from about 38,000 in 2000, or sorry, from about 52,000 in 2005 to about 38,000 just two years ago. And it's gone down even more. So that's the real cutback is revenue uh, has cut back the resources, the manpower, but also the choice of stories because they are desperate for audience. They'll basically keep hacking away at anything that they know will get eyeballs, whether it's a Trump story, whether it's a story about The Bachelor or some other pop element, or even weather. I mean, the weather over coverage is amazing. They go sure. on and on for hours if there's some kind of storm, whether it's big or little, as long as they know people will watch it. And they will not go after more in-depth things that take more time and reporting and maybe not grab as many eyeballs, but be as important as important or more. Sure. And I guess with the reduction in staff, each reporter has to put out more content in the same amount of time. So they can't spend as much time um, researching or writing a story. Right. We have fewer people doing more news because not only is there uh, are there fewer resources to do the coverage and editing, but there's more time to fill. 
You have 24-hour news outlets. You have essentially 24-hour websites because there is no more deadline. The deadline is every minute. If something happens right now, it gets quickly written up or edited or chopped together video, and it's bang, it's out on the internet. Years, you know, years ago, you would have until the five o'clock, six o'clock, eleven o'clock news show or the deadline for the daily paper or the print product. You'd have time to review, fine tune, edit, and get the story out. But now, it's instantaneous, and there are a few people to do it. So in this new landscape, what kind of impact has Trump had coming along and, and affecting news in what way? Well, he did it in two ways, which is kind of interesting. First off, during the campaign in 2016, he initially was given almost over coverage. You know, news outlets, especially the cable news channels, would put anything he did on the air. They'd leave the camera on at his rallies for hours and just let him speak. And then when he started to lie about so many things, just outright untruths, they wouldn't really be able to correct them and fact check them because they weren't ready for it. They weren't expecting it and they really weren't set up for it. And then when they started to do some in-depth reporting and started to call him on things, a lot of it, his sexual harassment, sexual abuse allegations, and just straight uh, lying on his part. Then he turned on a lot of the press, as you may recall. He would go to the rallies, he would put out his untruths, then they would correct him, and he would point to the reporters as fake news. And many of his followers and supporters started to believe that, that what he said was true and what the press, and many mainstream press, MSNBC, NBC, CNN, New York Times, he would make people believe they were the ones that weren't telling the truth when, in fact, he was. That built a real opposition and almost danger to some reporters. Katie Turr of MSNBC writes in her book about uh, being verbally harassed and pushed around. And in an interview I did where with Olivier Knox, the White House Correspondents Association president, a couple months ago on my podcast, he told me he knew of at least three White House correspondents who had personal security details hired because they were so fearful of their lives. So Trump did a double impact where he would get all this coverage from news outlets. Then he turned on them when they started to actually criticize or question him and made many people think he they were the fake news when in reality, much of what he says is the uh, untruth and the, the problem with accuracy. What kind of impact do you think fact-checking organizations uh, like PolitiFact or even the, the Washington Post fact-checking department have on the the general conversation? Do you think people believe Trump over them? I mean, certainly some of them, some of his base seem to. Yeah. I mean, his base is so loyal to him and so misled into thinking that what he says is the truth and that the press, you know, the press has had, as you know, a difficult image problem for a while. I mean, going back, you know, centuries even, because there's the old saying, shoot the messenger, blame the messenger. Um, there's been times when the press has been, uh, had credibility issues, you know, the uh, early days of the, of the yellow journalism with um, Hearst and Pulitzer papers. Um, that's what coined the term, the yellow, the yellow journalism and having problems based on political views or trying to get audiences. You look back to Benjamin Franklin's days when he ran, he ran, owned a few newspapers. He would make up letters to the editor and put them in his paper to support his views. Uh, for the most part, though, in recent years, maybe since the 50s and even the 70s, I think there was a real effort and there's a lot of history on newspapers and the news media in the book. I do a whole chapter just looking back on sort of where we got to, to how we got to today. There really was an effort in the recent decades to just be professional and put out um, accuracy, incredible work. And I think one of the things the Internet does is it allows even reporters to get access to information quicker and people can see more news outlets. I think that's one of the positives of the Internet. When I did research for the book, and I'm sure when you do research and others, you go online, you can look up things so quickly and in a diverse way, it's a real helpful tool for journalists. But at the same time, of course, it allows falsehoods to be spread. But I think 
most journalists, as I say in the book as well, want to be accurate. They want to get information out. I got into journalism. I think most people did because we're curious, nosy people who like to get information and news out. We pride ourselves on balance. We pride ourselves on accuracy. I would rather get a big scoop that might hurt a politician or a political view that I agree with rather than help one. I would rather get the, the, the truth out no matter who it affects because that's the job of a journalist. And I think most journalists do that. I think that's one of the misconceptions people have that reporters left or right are trying to slant news, are trying to sway public opinion uh, improperly. I think most people want to get the story out, like telling a good, honest story, and like getting the impact from it. So for Trump to say there's fake news, he knows that isn't true. He's not stupid, but he knows it's a good way to to gin up opposition and a frenzy rather than focus on the issues. Do you think Trump's accusations of fake news have led mainstream media sources to be more cautious in reporting in case they are caught out in a mistake and then it kind of validates what he's saying? I don't think they've really been more careful in what they consider to be accurate, because I think all along, most of the good mainstream quality news sites have always followed efforts. I think some are maybe double checking a little more. And that's a good thing. More fact checking can only lead to better reporting and better accuracy. But since Trump's claims are so falsely based, you know, if there was some data he brought out and said, look, news outlets are getting less and less accurate because of this fact or that survey or whatever. But it just, he pulls these things out of whole cloth. You know, he makes them up. Yeah. So for a news outlet to say, well, he's saying we're fake news, so we better not be so fake. Well, they're not being so fake. But sure. in some cases, and some editors have told me that in the book, that they are having to be as accurate as possible. And that's a good thing to be fact-checking consistently. When I was at Media Matters for America, since we were a watchdog for conservative media, keeping an eye on conservative outlets, they would come after us for any even mild inaccuracy. So we were double and triple checking our facts. And in the end, that was a good thing because we had rarely a need for corrections and almost all of what we reported was true. And if something wasn't completely confirmed, we wouldn't go with it. And I think that's a good thing. I think news outlets need to wait and check things out. I don't know that that would help Trump in any way, because if you're fact checking more, then you're confirming your reporting better. And if it's a report that is critical of Trump, that's not going to make a difference to him. He'll call it fake news just because he doesn't want anyone to believe it. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Okay, Joe's book is Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness and Donald Trump are Destroying News and How We Can Save It. Um, Joe, how can people find more out about you? Good question. You can go to my website, joestrupp.com. That's J-O-E-S-T-R-U-P-P.com. You can also go to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com to order the book and ask your local bookstore to order it. We are out on all the book print systems and places where the books are purchased by bookstores and on my website as well you can see some other interviews i've done and events i'm going to be having in new york and new jersey and washington and my main website joestrup.com has a lot of that background great thank you very much for joining us Jay. thank you And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Trump's latest medical results are in, and we're all pretending that he's only 243 pounds and that he's six foot three, which means he must be standing in a small hole anytime Obama or Trudeau are anywhere near. The best part of this year's fictional doctor's report is where Dr. Connolly says the president is in very good health and then predicts that he will remain so for the duration of his presidency and beyond. Honestly, <laughs> some people can't afford basic health care, but the White House gets psychic doctors. Yeah. The troller in chief and greatest humble bragger of all time has apparently been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Prime Minister Abe of Japan gave me the most beautiful copy of a letter that he sent to the people who give out a thing called the Nobel Prize. He said, I have nominated you, or respectfully, on behalf of Japan, 
I am asking them to give you the Nobel Peace Prize. I said, thank you. Many other people feel that way, too. I'll probably never get it, but that's okay. They gave it to Obama. He didn't even know what he got it for. That's so much of that is made up, isn't it? Or, yeah. But what did he get nominated for? Well, apparently for being president at the same time as a gap in nuclear testing by North Korea. Delightfully, when asked in his own parliament if he had been asked by the US administration to nominate Trump, Abe said, I'm not saying that that is not the fact, which we know by using Trump's measure of veracity, I don't think anyone's denied it, means it's true. Oh, Obama got one. Can't you get me one too? I'll be your best friend. Needless to say, Trump didn't get it. A federal judge has ruled that Paul Manafort intentionally lied to special counsel Robert Mueller's office, which is just the latest of the crimes he's committed since being arrested. (laughs) On the plus side, since it invalidates his plea deal and means he'll probably spend the rest of his life in prison, he can just keep on committing crimes now and there's not much more they can do to him. Might as well. (laughs) He loves it. He loves it. He just keep going. Yeah. Trump's latest tweet about Native American genocide in a slur against the latest to join the presidential race. Elizabeth Warren, sometimes referred to by me as Pocahontas. Which ends... See you on the trail. In capital letters, a not-too-veiled reference to the Trail of Tears. This caused outrage this week, as per usual, and Fox News analyst Brit Hume dismissed the outrage, as per usual. This time, however, using an unusual defence, maintaining that Trump is too ignorant of 19th century history to have known it's a joke. Hume explained that Trump says ignorant and offensive things regularly, but he's not noted for veiled references to historical events. But being stupid still doesn't mean it's not offensive. Ignorance is no defence in the eyes of the law. And also Jeremy Clarkson. A MAGA hat-wearing Trump supporter attacked a BBC cameraman at a Trump rally in El Paso. Nobody knows what motivated the attack, which came just a few days before Trump called the press the enemy of the people for the 50th time. Yeah, who knows what caused that then? It's a mystery. Yeah. Goodloe Sutton, the editor and publisher of a local paper in Alabama called The Democrat Reporter, wrote an editorial on Valentine's Day entitled Clan Needs to Ride Again. In a piece of writing you thought you'd only get to read in a museum's chamber of horrors, he writes, Democrats in the Republican Party are plotting to raise taxes in Alabama. This socialist communist ideology sounds good to the ignorant, the uneducated and the simple-minded people. If we could get the Klan to go up there and clean out D.C., we'd all be better off. We'll get them hemp ropes out, loop them over a tall limb and hang all of them. It's not calling for the lynchings of Americans. These are socialist communists we're talking about. However, Sutton also told the paper he did not believe the Klan was a violent organisation. They didn't kill but a few people. The Klan wasn't violent till they needed to be. Oh, so that's all right then. It's only fake noose. Trump has come up with an idea for an event which he hopes will become an annual tradition. It's a brilliant idea, totally original concept, Mm -hmm. and nobody has ever done anything like it before. He's suggested having a parade in Washington, D.C. on July 4th to celebrate America. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, good idea. Details are still being worked out, and there's no word yet on how this will affect the National Independence Day parade that has been held in Washington, D.C. for over 20 years. On the on July 4th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's probably no coincidence that Trump trails the declared 2020 election Democrat contenders by several percentage points in the polls. He even trails Joe Biden by 12 points, and he's declared nothing beyond thinking about running. And Trump, therefore, is spending much of his executive time making up nasty nicknames for the Democrats. If he had even one iota of self-awareness, he would realise that the enormous amount of name-calling that has gone on in the direction of the fetid, orange, small-minded, short, thick, brain-farting, mealy-mouthed, cunt-faced, pube-headed, motherfucking arsehole himself hasn't actually, unfortunately, made any impact on someone continuing to be in power. Therefore, he might give it up and just concentrate on statesmanship. Uh, Escalated quickly. (laughs) (laughs) So... 
that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. You can also connect with us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallaciousTrump. And if you think we've used the fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftrump. Just like our newest patron, Eric Toffolo, which is just a brilliant name, which makes me think of Mark Ruffalo. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) thanks, Eric. That's great. I hope you're enjoying being a patron. And we have a new Patreon goal to tell you about. No! Cast your minds back to the Christmas special where we talked about a terrible film called Ghosts Can't Do It, for which Donald Trump won a Razzie for Worst Actor. It's the Razzies this weekend, actually. When we hit our next milestone, Mark and I will watch that film (laughs) and mercilessly break it down in a special episode for patrons only. You can check it out on YouTube. It looks really awful. (laughs) So... If you want to inflict that on us, head on over to the Patreon page and sign up. Don't do it. No, no, do do it. No, we're caught in a dilemma there, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, sign up so we can watch that film. All music is by the Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>